So I want to give a big shout out to Alessandro from the Influencer Marketing Factory for joining us on the Down to Business podcast today. And did y'all hear what I just said? It's called the Influencer Marketing Factory. Not a store, not just a food truck, not just, you know, some here or there type thing, factory. So I don't know about you, but to me, when I hear the word factory, I think of one big thing, but essentially it has a lot of interchangeable and a lot of moving parts at the same time. And that's exactly what he broke down for us. He really talked to us, one, about growth hacking, about how there really is no playbook to growth hacking, how what could work for one company in one industry could be totally different for another company in another industry, and how sometimes, you know, you could put in so much work so much time, so much effort, and yield no results. And it's a difference when you're yielding no results for you and your brand, but it's totally different when you have other clients and other companies and people who are putting their hard-earned dime and trust into you. So he really talked about all things and how he really had to, you know, sometimes he'd go to sleep, sometimes he'd have to refresh his mind, sometimes he'd really have to take a step back, sometimes he'd really have to try things over and over and over and over again and how you know this industry is definitely not built for the week but essentially you know he really taught me all things influencer marketing you really got into influencers versus content creators you name it man he really does all of that but then on top of that he also talked about how he could be of service to you your business your brand i know we have a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs out there so look i'll let him take it away from here i'll let him tell you all things and how he could be of resource to you so without further ado enjoy episode 137 trial and error. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Down to Business podcast. And for for those of my visual viewers, for those of everybody who can see this live, let's just take a moment to appreciate Alessandro's background, please. Like, just you know, I'm I'm, I'm very I'm very magnified by it. He told me he was in New York, so I'm happy to hear that. But nonetheless, very happy to be sitting down with him today because I feel like you know what we're about to get into today, what he really specializes in and focuses on with his company, I feel like can be of assistance to everyone out there, no matter what you do, whether you been on the podcast before, whether you're in the business ownership space or the entrepreneurial space or just a creative in general, or maybe really don't even know what the what the actual term or what this actual phrase means and encompasses. Because I feel like, you know, what he does can have a lot of misconceptions, can have a lot of stereotypes around it. It can really just have a lot of misinformation. People may think that it's one thing or people may think that it encompasses this, but it's really a lot more that goes into it. So very excited for him to give a deeper dive into everything. As y'all see, I did not give any teasers or anything as to what it is. I really want him to tell y'all start to finish what we're doing. So Alessandro, how you doing today? How's everything on your end? It's really great. Thank you for having me. A lot of energy, really busy week already. Uh, but I can't complain. You know, it's also sunny. A bit windy in New York, uh, but again, if it is sunny, it's already really good with me, you know, so can't complain. I love that. I love that a lot. Like you said, the high energy and keep it moving. Busy sounds good for me. So it sounds like things are going well. So for the people out there, I know we're going to have some people coming from your side. I know we're going to have some people coming from my side. And I know we'll have some people just joining the journey along for the first time. So can you, one, just tell us a little bit about yourself? And then can you, two, just tell us what brings you on the Down to Business podcast today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm the CEO and uh, co-founder of the Influencer Marketing Factory. That is a global influencer marketing agency. I am myself from Milano, Italy, as uh, you can easily, uh, easily understand from the accent. And I moved to the States uh, now, what is it, like maybe six years ago. Before that, I was in Copenhagen, Denmark. I always worked uh, uh, you know, as a growth hacker for many years. So I was mostly helping, uh, especially SaaS B2B companies to get more, you know, um, you know, users on their platforms and I learn a lot, right? I learn a lot of out of the box ideas, how to do like growth for companies and so on. And after a while, it was like, 
the B2B and the sales, it's absolutely interesting, but uh, I saw that it was like really uh, sometimes get to the technicality and that was missing something. It was missing the human side, I would say, and also the creativity part. And so uh, some years ago, I, I found out about the influencer marketing, you know, as a thing. It was still something quite new, I would say. It was still this, you know, um, new way to promote things. Uh, there is, was a lot of confusion. It was definitely the Wild West when it came to that. Uh, but I saw an opportunity and it was like, um, this is interesting. I wrote my master's thesis about uh, influencer marketing. I created a little algorithm on uh, potentially like how much to pay influencers on Instagram. I'm talking about like seven to eight years ago. So definitely a different environment. And after that, I got into that. And then I moved to actually to Miami where I built um, and co-founded the influencer marketing factory. And from that, then I moved to New York. Uh, we started in a couple of people. Now we're a team of 50 uh, between uh, the US and Europe. Uh, really fantastic brands. I can tell you more about that later. But this is like in a nutshell, uh, you know, as I started. And today I'm here because uh, I love talking about, you know, I, I love also the title, like, you know, down to base. Like, I love to be really straight to the point when it comes to uh, how to create a business uh, about, you know, entrepreneurial life. Uh, I'm an Im immigrant coming to the States. I came here with no money, no connections, uh, and I built that from scratch. So I'm always happy to answer questions that could be like, you know, uh, aim like to get to the next level for people that are entering the the business, uh, business or uh, even just talking about influencer marketing, uh, um, the creator economy as a whole, because I'm really passionate about that. And uh, I'm pretty sure that on this show, we can go really in depth. Wow. I love that. You just gave us a, a very brief, but I feel like it was a very informative and you really kind of put me from start to finish about, you know, from the interest to where you really started, to where you were, to coming over here, to all the passions and everything. And I, I really do hear that, you know, so one of the first things I kind of want to get into was you said, okay, getting into really just growth hacking and really helping companies build and, and really just excel and really, you know, take what they have, take that foundation, or even in some cases, set a foundation and start something from them. So where would you say really you personally, your interest came with wanting to, you know, the creator economy, with wanting to help other businesses? Did Were you a previous business owner before the influencer marketing factory? Was this just something that you always kind of just love to do with others? Yeah, so when I started mostly on the, on the B2B side, uh, I mean, I was still starting. I've been actually... You know a little bit more about me i started my first startup when i was 18 years old and my first website when i was 13 when it was still only just html css was still not a thing um and so i was always passionate about the internet as a thing and then the web right as a whole so when i started realizing that what was marketing right uh, while when i was studying uh, still in milano where i'm from i fell in love with the idea that you can actually like you know generate uh, sales uh, you can bring people to buy and purchase something you can influence the other so i started on that because i was passionate about the idea that uh, you know it's almost a challenge it was a challenge for me right okay other companies have maybe million dollars in budgets uh, but a lot of these other startups they didn't so you have to start thinking out of the box and a growth hacker does that it combines together you know being creative uh, content marketing uh, sales uh, um, data scraping uh, um, cold email outreach everything all together data analysis it has a lot of different things and you have to put all of them together in order to bring in specific targeted people to a business i'm talking about sometimes even boring businesses are not that easy right selling a pair of shoes it's usually easier than maybe selling a you know account receivable automated system right it's not that it's not that fun you know to work on but still you have to bring people in 
And what I've loved about uh, being a growth hacker, it is that you never get bored. Like you really get a lot of ideas every single day and you have to think about, okay, the others have a million dollars in marketing. We have, you know, 5K, what can I do with that? And your brain start like spinning a different way. And, and that's how it started. But then when I got into in the influencer marketing, it was mostly because of two reasons. Uh, one, uh, I mean, big opportunity it was definitely growing. And um, I was um, never a big fan of paid media myself. I always was like, people get influenced by family and friends more than a banner. So it was like, what is the extension of family and friends? It's influencers and content creators. And then after that, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Vine. And when that was discontinued, I was like, okay, what is next? What is the next big thing? And that thing was TikTok. And so we have been one of the first agencies in the world actually offering TikTok to clients such as like, you know, Sony Music, Universal Music, Warner Music Group, and so on, you know, between 2018, 2019. And that was like, okay, this is a big opportunity here. How can we use a short form videos to actually bring sales and brand awareness. Um, and after that, you know, we, we kept, uh, you know, growing. But I would say that I had a lot of experience in the growth hacking that helped me out to grow a company from, from zero to a eight-digit type of agency in just four years, totally bootstrapped. If it wasn't for, for like, growth hacking, um, maybe I wouldn't be here. So it's amazing to hear that even how some of your some of what you learned and some of your early passions and interests were really able to translate when you came into business. You were thinking about, you know, you said that companies would come to you just with different scenarios, with different, you know, landscapes, followings, everything like that. And you would eventually kind of just wake up. And like you said, the brain would be turning, the light bulbs would be going off and everything like that. So that even kind of makes me a little bit more curious as to when it comes to growth hacking, when it comes to what you were doing specifically, what is there any like strategy to it? Would you say it's trial and error? Would you say you were learning from something? Would you say there's kind of like a playbook as to like a right from wrong? Is it a learn as you go type thing? What really is the ins and outs when it comes to growth hacking, what you were doing? Absolutely. Good question. Um, I think that growth hacking is always a testing in a sort of, a, you know, loop where so like if anyone here listening is, uh, is familiar with the Pareto principle, right, the 80 20. Uh, you know, like the, the, the 20% right of the things that you're doing, uh, bringing the 80% of the revenue or the user acquisition and so on. Growth hacking is mostly identify what is the 80-20 and you do a lot of testing every single day. So there is a bunch of things that you're going to do as a growth hacker that is really frustrating and it will not bring you anything. And you will test 10, 20 different, different, uh, like, you know, ways, uh, channels and so on. Some of them are going to put so much work and sometimes it's frustrating because you know the work, but the client that doesn't see that. That I would say it was one of the things that I didn't like too much being a growth hacker because uh, uh, if you do it for yourself, it's something. But when you do it for a client, maybe it took you six months to do a certain SEO work, data scraping, find the best way to uh, gather a certain type of data and, you know, pilot it up in a way where you can use it for automation. There are so many things that are really technical where you have to be really good in using tools and also really be a good critical thinker and be like, how oh, can I use the different pieces all together with a limited budget and still bring results? You only you know how much work there is, but sometimes the client doesn't see that because maybe they are not that technical, right? Or tech savvy. So they only see the results and the outcome. They don't see all the work behind. So I would say that there is not a playbook. There is not a unique formula. Each business is different. Each B2B sales, in the, depending on the industry, is different. So what I would say is that um, every week I was like testing something 
uh, for maybe a few weeks, a few months, and then scrapping it out if it was not working and starting like really optimizing the channels that were. And to be honest, sometimes you think certain channels are going to work just because you are biased on certain things and maybe you realize they are not. And things that you would never like give a cent, actually maybe you find out there it's your main channel. So up until you don't try, you don't test. Uh, so as a growth hacker, you really do everything possible and you are not afraid to test. Uh, on the contrary of other marketers, they only do maybe paid media and that's about it. And something I'm hearing too, just in your answers and just in a lot of what you're speaking to is patience. This really requires a lot of patience and just understanding because like you said, for sometimes for a client coming in, for a client coming to you to utilize what you do, to utilize your service, your you know expertise and things like that, they don't necessarily know the ins and outs. They don't know the behind the scenes. They don't know every day that you're working at something or that sometimes some things just take a little time or things are not just going to happen as instantly as you, you know, you're not going to go to sleep and then just wake up with thousands and millions and billions, you know, it, this is a process the same way everything gets built up. And so a lot of times it's really hard to communicate that. But you know, in your right mind, you know, one, that you're passionate about this, you love this, you have faith in it. But two, it's just more so getting them to believe. But like you said, when you do it for yourself, it's it's a different type of intrinsic motivation there. And I, I hear that a lot with you. And I can definitely hear the passion, especially over the years, just with technology advancements, just with, with different social media now and everything like that. You've had to adapt and you've had to adopt to everything around you. So it's a constantly changing just industry, but it's a constantly changing and evolving skill set. So influencer marketing. Yes. What is that? I feel like, you know, there there are so many definitions out there with you. If you ask this person, they'll say mm -hmm. this. If you ask this person, they'll say that. But ultimately, with you, with what you're involved in, if somebody came to you, hey, I have never heard of influencer marketing in my life. Give me the breakdown of it. How do you explain that to them? Absolutely. Um, and first of all, like the concept changed in the past 10 years. So, you know, what I'm saying now might not be the same in, in, in one year and so on. But if we go, if we do a step back, who is an influencer, right? First of all, an influencer is not a content creator necessarily. I mean, like it's a content creator and a content creator is not necessarily an influencer. I've been seeing many people using the two terms, like they're like the same, but they are not, right? An influencer is someone that can, you know, as the word say, influence you in doing something. It could buy and purchase an item, could be go to vote or donate your blood, okay? It's someone that can really understand that they have a, a, a strong relationship with an audience um, and actually with a, even with a community, right? You can have an audience. The audience is mostly like unilateral communication. Usually in a community, you have bilateral communication instead. Um, and an influencer has the power, again, to influence others in doing something. Uh, if you are not able to, uh, you might be a fantastic content creator. It doesn't mean that you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to be able actually to convert your users, right, to potentially customers. And so influencer marketing is a, a great way for brands and companies uh, or even like associations sometimes, um, movements and so on, to drive two things, brand awareness and traffic. Back in the days, it was mostly brand awareness because it was diff very difficult to track performances and ROI of influencers. But nowadays, you can do that through, you know, Bitly's, UTM parameters, uh, third-party um, uh, apps and tools like, you know, Singular.net, Apps Flyer, if you have mostly apps, for example. Nowadays, you can get back and be like, okay, I spent this amount and I got this back. But the main difference between banners, for example, and influencers, it is that not because you're putting $1 in today in influencer marketing, you're, you're going to get $10 out the same day. 
if we think about the behavior, right, of all the influencer marketing cycle is different. I'm pretty sure that you saw maybe an advertisement on TV, then you saw uh, uh, something on YouTube ads, and then you see an influencer that talks about the same product, and then you see a Facebook ad, and then you see the same on TikTok. That is going to be one of the different main touch points, right? And doesn't mean that you're going to buy the same day that you see from an influencer. It could be, it could be not, but what you're getting, it is that it's an extra touch point from someone that usually you trust, similar to, again, fr friends and family, as I was saying before. So if you think about like, I want to put $1 in and I'll get it the, you know, $10 out the same day, that is not how you should think about influencer marketing. Influencer marketing gives you much more, gives you user generated content that if you pay also for paid, uh, like media rights, you can use maybe, for example, for your website under a testimonial, for example. You can then use uh, this uh, content also and read the comments, uh, okay, on, uh, for example, the influencer page. Uh, and those comments, uh, what I say all the time, is like real-time feedback about your product. And it's huge. You cannot have that type of feedback on a banner or on TV or on a newspaper. That it's real, unfiltered comments from your audience that is potentially your customer. So... Again, to recap, you get user-generated content, you get feedback from people, you get the audience and the community of an influencers to drive traffic to maybe, let's say, a landing page. So, you know, I could, is, you can easily see influencer marketing is like, you know, Swiss Army type of thing. Like, you know, you have so many things at the same time for a fraction of a cost of maybe a Super Bowl commercial. So all in all, it's a great way to drive a targeted type of people to a targeted type of product. And nowadays you can track everything from A to Z. I love the term Swiss Army knife that you used. That was actually even one of the names of my most recent mm -hmm. episodes. But I feel like that is such a term that with most industries these days, you have to be able to do that, especially when it comes to like the social media driving traffic. Like you said, just being multifaceted, having content that you can use here and then repurpose and put it somewhere else or put it on a website or something like that. So I think it's so important that people know everything that goes into it and that how sometimes it can just be two words, but it's such an umbrella term. It encompasses so much. So going on more so towards influencer marketing. So the influencer marketing factory, mm -hmm. this is not the influencer marketing brand. This is not the influencer marketing company. This is not the influencer marketing by Alessandro. This is the influencer marketing factory. Yes. Why the word, I'm, I'm big on just word choice mm -hmm. and grammar and names and things like that. Why the word factory? Because for me, when I think of factory, I think of just something that one is massive. Two, it does multiple things. Like when you think of factories, they, they have multiple functions in order to be able to produce some type of product or service or whatever. So when you think about the influencer marketing factory, would you say that you guys aim to serve multiple purposes, to aim to be a massive and global organization that between the United States, that between Europe, and even as you continue to grow and expand, you really just want to help with everyone. Why that particular name? Yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, like we, uh, we started with the idea of offering something that, you know, um, it was mostly the bread and butter of influencer marketing. So we were like, this is a factory only for influencer marketing. It's not a full service agency that offers, uh, you know, uh, everything. There are still a lot of uh, full services that I'm not necessarily against them, but in my opinion, th this is the analogy that I see all the time, okay? Um, I'm a big foodie. I'm Italian, so, you know, Italian food for me, of course, and for many people in the world, it's, you know, well-rated, right, uh, across different foods. Um, and what I say all the time it is that if I want to eat, uh, you know, a really good, uh, you know, dish of pasta, I'm going to go to an Italian restaurant that does all of that. 
I am not a big fan of going to a place that does tacos and pizza and, and, and sushi and all together because all of them, most probably, they're not going to be good, right? They're going to be average, right? The same was also right for agencies. In my opinion, like you want to focus on only one thing and do it very well. So for us, it was like the influencer marketing factory that is going to give you everything about influencer marketing. So influencer identification, legal and agreements, creativity, storytelling, um, logistics, and then also like paid media for influencer marketing content. So not just like paid media because, but boosting content from influencers. We also do talent representation. So for us, the factory was also like, we can help you in getting brand deals, helping out with the agreements and, and legal, uh, helping out with, you know, a PR. And so it was like really the concept of like, instead of doing a thousand different things, this is it. It's a factory about influencers, uh, content creators, uh, and helping really focus on one thing and do it very well. As a fellow foodie as well, I love how you just made that analogy with food and with, you know, that that's really a great point. That's honestly something I never thought about. You would rather go somewhere that specializes in what you want at that particular moment rather than going somewhere that has a little bit of everything because now it leaves your options open too. You don't really know where to go. You don't really know if you're kind of taking a risk, a shot in the dark here, and if it'll really be good and things like that. So anything with food, you got my vote. So I, I love that a lot. But no, I, I definitely think you make a great point as to how when you came in, when you established this, you were thinking about one thing. You were thinking about, you know, what you needed to hone in on. Now, obviously, with honing in on one thing, you can have different sub-factors. You can have different subsets and different things like that. But you ultimately have to have that focal point, like you said, focusing on that one thing or that that niche. So now, like you said, you've built a team now of 50 plus over four years between United States, between Europe. What is that like having split teams? You know, often even within my job, we have companies that, you know, maybe headquarters somewhere, maybe like in, in Europe or in Prague or anything like that. But maybe they're trying to build out a team in Tampa or maybe they're trying to move to New York now. So with originally kind of starting in one place and kind of then moving and growing, what was really that like? But also, like, what were you thinking? Were you just trying to because I'm, I'm pretty sure between the United States and Europe and you even spoke about it earlier, you've seen a host of different just creatives, just different dope businesses, just different great and creative ideas. But what? Would you say this was really the goal? Did you want to kind of build it like this? Where you are, are you still kind of trying to build? Are there any other areas you were trying to target? But what is that really like having a split team between the United States and then Europe as well? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, again, being Italian myself, you know, and moved in the, to the States a few years ago, I always uh, really valued the, you know, diversity in our team. I mean, people like out of the 50 people that we have, they come from 15 different nationalities. So, you know, we have people that come from, uh, I mean, apart from the States, we have people across nine different states uh, to cover different time zones. When it comes to Europe, we have both uh, uh, Western countries and Eastern countries in Europe. So also that in that case, uh, different cultures and different time zones covered. We now have a person also in Dubai and myself, I'm quite fascinated by what is happening in Asia and Southeast Asia. Um, so I would say that it's for two reasons. Um, one, because of course you can serve different time zones. So if you have European clients, as we have, for example, uh, they prefer right to be on the same time zones and also for our people to be on that one. And two, to be honest, the way to work is totally different. And also the way to approach other like humans is totally different. Like in the US, we are I think, I mean, I say we are now because I've been living here for a while, but uh, like we are really good in get like straight to the point to like done to business, right? And uh, and be like, okay, this is it, this is the budget. And we like, you know, really cut the chase, like, you know, we go straight to the point. And, and I love it. 
On the other hand, instead, we Europeans are really good in relationship with people. So we might not be that good in closing a deal the same day, especially on the client side. It takes more time for them to uh, finalize maybe a budget. But we are, I would say, a bit better in getting the relationship on the human side. Not going to say that doesn't happen in the US, but I would say that here is really more business oriented and less on the personal side. You need both in life, right? You need to look at the business side and also understand who is behind that person, uh, the, the company. What I say all the time it is that B2B is not really B2B. It's still a person to person, right? You have a person on the other side that maybe it's a, a father of three kids uh, with their own problems uh, and they are working, but you shouldn't look at them as a business. You should look at them as a human being. And so I love having people from a bit all over the world and, and would be interesting to also expand to more countries. Because believe me, like the, the way, like the things that I learn looking at different lenses from different cultures, it's fantastic. For one, how to approach work and two, how to approach clients and, and influencers. Like whenever we work, for example, with LATAM, we have people speaking Spanish. And that is really important because you are going to remove the barrier of the language. And if you were only American, only speaking English, it would be really difficult to, for example, get in touch with someone that is, you know, based out of Argentina. And, you know, we don't have people uh, speaking Portuguese for Brazil. That is a really interesting um, upcoming market, you know. So all in all, uh, it only helps to have uh, you know diversity in in a team, and that's why we will continue getting people from all all, all over the world. I love that. Uh, I love that. Even from the the sole point of you just saying having someone on the same time zone as you is just more refreshing because I even know sometimes you run into those time barriers of you know when I'm replying they're mm-hmm. asleep and then when you're so we're going it's a lot of just back and forth. But having somebody that you know you can relate with or having somebody that knows when it's time to get down to business versus when it's time to build that relationship or everything. So it really sounds like that you guys early on really took a proactive approach and it's only gone to your success. So I, I love that a lot. Now. Okay, now I really want to get into the social media side of things because, you know, we all know that what social media looked like five years ago is not nearly what it looks like now. So with social media always constantly changing with new updates, with new policies, with new guidelines, with quote unquote algorithms and everything like that. How does that, if at any effect at all, how does that really affect what you guys doing with your mission? Are you guys constantly just doing research on social media, doing research on what's changing, on what's new? Are you guys sitting in on different like calls and meetings with developers and people like that? Do you guys just take your own approach no matter what happens with social media? This is what we're going to do regardless. Is it kind of a mix of both? What really, you know, what does that really look like from your team in thinking about the ever changing Yeah, we absolutely check what happens every single day. So every day I read a lot of things happening. Uh, I am in touch with fantastic reporters that are in the industry. So uh, either know something from them or vice versa, like we share information with them. Um, As you correctly said, it's ever changing. And sometimes it's always uh, it could be also a bit too much, uh, to be honest. Like you always have to be updated on what is happening. And sometimes it's challenging, right? Because you want to run a business, but at the same time, always be in the loop of the latest trends. When it comes to algorithms, in my opinion, it's always a bit tricky, mostly for one thing. Uh, We noticed that with uh, not uh, necessarily our content creators, but overall, right? Uh, If you do a helicopteral view on on the content creators out there, a lot of them start doing content to please the algorithm and not things that they love doing. And that is really problematic, right? Because if you start doing things just to please an algorithm and you remove yourself from the equation, then what is the content about, right? It's, it's like writing like a content for SEO purpose. Yeah, we'll get absolutely a lot of clicks, but 
do you really are giving value? It's similar to the like AI generative content, right? We've been talking about this a lot, a lot of the times uh, lately. Like what happens there right, is that you are mostly creating things that doesn't really have like your own style. So um, again, algorithms are gonna always change, and um, we, for example, we do not create our own content. I mean, like for the agency, we do, but when it comes to content for the clients, uh, is the influencers themselves that create the content with their phone, with their camera, and usually they know what is happening. Like they've spent uh, many hours during the day, majority of the time, on social media, and they can understand more or less. Uh, how it works. What I said at the time is that uh, they know better than anyone else how to somehow, you know, uh, find the best reach. And if they don't, uh, also them, like they are human, like they, they might fail sometimes in delivering certain type of content or a content could be shadow banned or maybe because of the algorithm change it, uh, the format that was, was working one week prior now doesn't work anymore. So long story short, there is not a formula, there is not a way uh, to hack the system or you can do it. But again, you might want to hack the system doing a content again to please the algorithm, but it's not you anymore. And I think that people will notice that. So... Uh, you you want to find a balance between uh, you want to still get enough reach but also be you if not you're going to become a machine getting out like content just to get on the for you page or youtube shorts and so on but then what's the value for your audience you know i think that's so important recognizing that you know it's not about it's not really about the followers it's not all, always about the sales and dollars and things that equate with that but ultimately it has to be mm-hmm. about you if you're not in it it takes away that personal aspect of the brand i feel like and a lot of times we realize that like you said it, it's not always about necessarily like getting these big names or getting these big sponsors or getting these celebrities endorsements and everything like that. Sometimes it's about the people to your right and your left, the people you can pick up and call real quick, your family, your friends, those are going to be the people who can really push and elevate things. But a lot of times we recognize that there's that detachment from it. If people can't resonate or relate to your brand in some way or another, they kind of detach themselves from it, whether they have a personal relationship with you or not. It's one thing to, you know, I love you. I, I, I like what you do, but personally, I don't, what you do does not support or does not resonate with me. And sometimes it really does boil down to that. So, but like you said, I think about the landscape of social media and, and I think it's kind of caused some people to, you know, conform, become complacent or sometimes even be confused. I think, I think there's so much happening. Like you said, sometimes if you're not plugged in or if you don't have people that are in the know, or if you don't have people giving you that inside information, you don't know. And ultimately you could be creating purposeless content or you could be creating purposeful content, but you're not promoting it and getting it out there the same way. So I'm big on I'm big on social media. I feel like you have to be just between having a brand and just between ourselves. I feel like that's just our go to with everything for news, sports, anything of the sort. Would you say that you would you say that the influencer marketing factory, do you guys have like a a bread and butter social media site? Do you personally have a favorite site that you just love to work with that you kind of just loved how it's evolved over the years? Do you kind of just yeah, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit just because I want to know. But I mean, you could just be somebody who no matter what, I'm I'm gonna give each thing, you know, my attention, but you could like, you know, maybe YouTube because of the shorts and what they're doing now. You could like TikTok because it kind of combines everything. What does that really look like from you and on the side of the market? So I can say one as um, an employer entrepreneur and one as like as personal because uh, uh, we as an agency, we are actually, we work uh, actually for the biggest social media out there. So we are a Google uh, vendor, a meta partner and a TikTok enterprise agency. So we work directly with them and they are our clients. And so 
you know, um, I can see that all of them uh, innovate in different areas. I would say that uh, TikTok has been the one that make us grow a lot as an agency, because as I mentioned before, we've been there since the beginning. I remember when I was uh, moving from Musical.ly to TikTok, I've been there. Uh, Musical.ly definitely wasn't the place for me, but then when TikTok started, it was such a weird place where to be, to be honest, but I was fascinated by the organic reach and the type of content, right, that was there. And also the, the type of uh, um, behavior of the people on the, on, oh, sorry, on the on the platform was different than, for example, Instagram. Instagram, for a long time, had a big issue with uh, organic reach, right? That's why people moved to, moved to TikTok, because if you have like a million followers, but then only, let's say, 30,000 people or whatever see your post, that you're like, I built all this for nothing. And the same sometimes happen with YouTube. YouTube, it's a great platform. Like I spend sometimes way too much time on, on YouTube, to be honest, but I love it because uh, like it, it really like gives, uh, I mean, apart from the CPM model for people, but it gives really like a good like type of videos. Like nowadays, the quality of videos you can find on YouTube, it's fantastic. Like one person can do like a great production video that would be the same equivalent of someone in, in, in LA studio, right? Um, with a lot of money behind that. And, and now also like, you know, again, you know, Instagram Reels and so on. I would say that all of them, they are trying to understand where to go next because all of them, they copied a bit each other's lately. And that's, I would say, is not the best in terms of innovation because uh, they're trying to win over new audience, uh, copying each other's features. Uh, but I feel that no one is winning yet at certain games because TikTok was really good uh, in doing the short form, but they're not that good in in giving enough money to content creators. Right, the TikTok founder didn't work well. YouTube Shorts and YouTube, it's fantastic to give like a, a strong relationship with your people. Like the audience, uh, the followers of a YouTuber are way stronger than the followers of a TikToker. And but YouTube Shorts is also like it's giving a lot of uh, eyeballs but they do not translate either in revenues with the CPM model where it's really low. And sometimes it's difficult to bring the people from YouTube Shorts to your main YouTube. And the last one is Instagram Reels that I think that they still have to a bit understand where they want to go, right? In terms of uh, like, what, who is the audience for Instagram Reels? Uh, so I would say that up until maybe one year ago, I was a big fan of TikTok, but now I can see that there is less, uh, uh, less opportunities, I would say, for people jumping on it. It's a bit more difficult to make it to a million followers. It is more difficult to go on the For You page. And, you know, um, lately I've been a lot of, you know, like chats about potential ban and so on. So I just see a, a little bit of confusion. So all in all, I like all of the main three, to be honest, because they are similar in certain aspects, but they can be different for the things that you want to achieve, right? And for each of them, you should have a different type of strategy. Um, so based on that, I think that, again, I was a big fan of, again, like of TikTok. I just think that now they have to understand where they are going um, because um, because I think that uh, in, in the past year, there have been a lot of like political things happening and um, it would just be a pity if they lose traction uh, now when they should actually push a bit more. Got you. Give me one second. I knocked my charger out. Hold on. Sorry about that. I cannot miss this. But no, I think so. You you made one of my 
greatest, like, I guess, points of realizations. I felt like at one point, okay, because I was very stubborn getting on TikTok. You can ask a lot of my audience and my followers, they kept telling me to do it, do it. I was just like, no, I just feel like it's another version of what we're already doing between the reels and the shorts. So at one point, I was really telling people, I really do feel like a lot of these social media sites are almost playing tag or playing catch up or trying to, or emulating what one person is doing and another person is doing. And it's not really, you know, it's, it's kind of already clashing with what you do, with what you offer, with what you are. I feel like you're trying to become maybe an Instagram or a TikTok or likewise or anything like that. So I, I agree with that wholeheartedly and a hundred percent. Now I want to get into arguably one of the most interesting things here. So We've heard everything that the factory does, that they hone in on, that they focus on, what you guys have been doing as you've been building the team between the states, between Europe, even just the growth trajectory of the future. Let's get into the content. So what are some, for what you can disclose, what are some of the, the brands and businesses and entrepreneurs and creatives who you guys have been able to work with, who you guys have been able to create content for, or even help push and grow content for these these other, you know, businesses and brands? Because I feel like, you know, even just going through the website, I feel like you guys appeal to a lot of people. I feel like in some form or fashion, you can help every business out, every entrepreneur out, every creative out. So who have you guys been able to kind of have under your wing? Yeah, as, the, the as good today? thing about, you know, influencer marketing, first of all, it is that it can work for many industries. I think that there is still this myth that uh, you can only sell shoes, or you can only sell, you know, beauty beauty products. That is not the case. Um, you can actually work with that. We don't work with, with, that, with, with uh, uh, banks, also insurance companies, uh, medical devices like you can really uh, if you want uh, like you know promote something you will find an audience that is interested in what a certain type of influencers that want to tell you about actually the more niche it is like you know the better it is right because you're going to find people really interested in that yeah you can go with cristiano ronaldo and having all these followers but sometimes these celebrities are followed by people just because they are celebrities doesn't mean necessarily they're gonna you know go and buy something like the type of followers that they have it's so it's so much of a mix across the world and different demographics, psychographic and so on. It doesn't really make sense. You want to go a bit more in detail. Uh, make an example, for example, you know, uh, um, one client that we work with, uh, um, they do they do trampolines, right, for uh, families and kids and so on. Some of these trampolines, they cost like maybe $5,000, okay? And because of like our, like our support, they were able to sell a lot of them on uh, thanks to you know TikTok and also you know YouTube again I'm talking about like buying a thing that you're going to put in your garden that costs thousands of dollars and you did it because you saw a video online so you know they, they, and and to be honest like all these videos they were like really fun like you know it was uh, the family maybe giving these uh, as a uh, as a gift, for example, you know, and, uh, you know, you have all the unboxing experience in terms of like it arrives to your home, then you start doing like the jump challenges with your family. Like there is all the experience that there is the feelings and emotion that you have as a kid and that translating like, oh, wow, I want this for my family as well. You cannot give that with a banner ad you have, to, or even with a advertisement on TV, you will have all these talk videos that you can clearly see that is fake, right? Well, instead, when you see a real family, yeah, of course, they maybe they can reshoot the video a couple of times, right, to make it better, but you will still see that it's a real family and you can feel it in the video. So just to say, like, you can sell things that are like $14.99, but you can also sell things that are like 5K a piece. And that is one example. I one that we did like, 
this is more like a long time ago with one of our talent. Um, he, his, his name is uh, Cringe Carter. He has like more than 6 million now on, on TikTok. Really famous, really strong fan base. And uh, some time ago, uh, you know, we worked in collaboration with Duncan to launch. That was a time with uh, Charlie D'Amelio that was doing like an, a, new, a new coffee. This is a bit old now, but just to give you an example of... Uh, why it is important sometimes to identify what works well for the brands, for the community, and for the um, for the influencer. Um, Cringe Carter was already like a big fan of uh, Dunkin', right? And was already promoting uh, their product even without getting paid. Just because it was like, let's go to the drive, like, you know, and getting something, I'm going to test it out for you guys, okay? And when Duncan saw that, it was like, oh, wow, like, I, we already can see that they, he loves our products. And so when that happens, they start doing a collaboration where they sent him, like, a lot of merch that has his name on and everything. So with the same, like, font of Duncan and so on. And his audience loved that type of collaboration because it was so native and so natural that people were not, like, shocked or be like, oh, you're, like, you sold out just because. No, it was like... I love doing that. So that was the perfect like collaboration. So you know, you 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 are getting something that you love. Your audience is gonna support that, and the brand is gonna be happy because it's not just like a, an integration, but it's actually a collaboration. So these two to give you a couple of examples again: selling things that are like really expensive or cheaper items like a coffee, but in a different way. You're not selling a coffee. You're selling values. So you're selling like you know, you're selling the emotion, the feelings of like having to wake up super early and try maybe a new flavor of coffee. So that's what influencer marketing gives you. It's much more than just the product advertisement. is your own experience. It's your storytelling. And you can do it, to be honest, in any type of industries out there. And man, experience will really go a long way. It can really go from somebody, you know, not knowing what a product does, not even trying it, to, to, to buying it, to then supporting it, to then pushing it on to others. So I, like you said, I really do think that with influencer marketing, with specifically with what y'all do, you focus on things that may have not got the attention they deserve fully. Because not to say it's anything wrong with the content, not to say what they're doing is wrong, but hey, have you thought about this? Or what about this? Or what if we just emphasize this a little bit more? So I feel like y'all are kind of taking those points and really fine tuning them, dotting those I's, crossing those T's and really making sure that it's pushed out there the way that it should be. So I'm thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about how I have a host of people who have been on this podcast, both, you know, both well on in their careers, both getting started, both still in the aspiration and, and, and planning stages. And we, then we have some people who have achieved, you know, mass success, have some people who are working towards what they want to be and have some people who are not there yet, but well on the way. When, when I think about them and when I think about, you know, what you could do for their business and what the influencer marketing factory as a whole could help them with, would you say that when it comes to people reaching out, when it comes to people wanting to collaborate, when it comes to people wanting to utilize your products and services, do you guys have any requirements as to like following, as to like tenure, as to obviously no industry, like you said, this can be really universal, but are there anything that people who want to work with you guys, people who want to even kind of reach out for more information and things like that, is there anything that they should know beforehand, anything that they should have ready to go? Yeah, absolutely. We, we do have certain criteria on both sides. So one is the business that are reaching out to do campaigns. And the other one is the talent. So when it comes to businesses, uh, we we have certain requirements in terms of you know minimum budget, for example, and uh, 
you know, type of industry that are maybe some that are really difficult to work with, you know, like maybe, for example, alcohol or tobacco and so on. Like there are some that we don't really work with because, uh, uh, you know, first of all, it's something that also like, you know, personally speaking, there are certain things like tobacco, for example, that, you know, of course, no one really likes to promote. And also, secondly, for other like um, industries that are like really, really regulated and are really difficult to even just execute. So. Uh, that would be one, but I would say that it's definitely the type of budget that you have in mind. Uh, you know, like we work with clients that give us like, you know, minimum of maybe $20,000 to run a test campaign up to six digits, seven digits. It really depends. But for us, it's uh, really under making them understand it's not just about the budget. It's about the type of effort that you want to put into that. Like a one shot activity with like $5,000, to be honest, it's better if you do it yourself and you don't. Um, find uh, an agency because between the fees and the time it's going to be more like you know time consuming and you're going to get less so what we say all the time is that for us it's better to get a company that really want to you know use us uh, maybe for the year or maybe for three months or one month even if we don't ask like contracts but it's just about um, having them like uh, in the education side and be like if you really want to use influencer marketing in the right way uh, then you have to look at this uh, as something that is a serious type of marketing. It's not just like, you know, giving away $100 here. It's not that like that anymore. So we uh, request, uh, again, certain minimum in terms of budgets and timelines and so on. For example, if someone wants to run a campaign in one week, we tell them like, sorry, but we cannot help because in one week between storytelling, creativity, uh, legal agreements, it takes sometimes even three months, right? To come out with uh, maybe with a strategy, depending on the budget. If you want to have, 100 people on your campaign well even just reaching out negotiate the price it takes weeks and we do have a dedicated team to do that so that is on the brand side and on the talent uh, we usually prefer to get in people maybe um, we mostly focus on tiktokers uh, that also have maybe youtube and instagram but usually they have to be based in in the us mostly because we're focusing on this uh, this um, uh, in, um location right now and maybe they should have already like maybe a good amount of followers between 500k and a million not because we focus on the followers but it's because we want to understand like are they stable did they get already a good audience and also we want to study them in other ways for example are they professionals with their mindset uh, are they good in making content but also respectful of deadlines for clients uh, have they done already some brand deals in the past have they been reached out by people are they covering a niche that might be interesting, right, for potential brand deals. So there are like a lot of these, but I would say that the easiest thing that we look at, it's basic numbers and metrics, just for us to have an idea, and two, the quality of the content, like no cast words, like no scandals in the past, uh, uh, you know, like uh, only clean content. Why? Because if tomorrow you want to sell a talent, right, to a brand, you want to be sure there is not going to be any potential scandal or anything that it might, you know, um, create any problem during the communication between the brands and the talent. Or you never want to jeopardize anything like that. So I think, you know, the fact that you, you guys have that criteria or guidelines or protocol and everything that's important. It's needed because it'll weed out the people, you know, who are not really in it to win it per se, or may just want to get something out there. Or may really just think that, you know, I want to just wake up and go viral. Like you said, mm -hmm. some of this stuff can take weeks, can take months, can take, years sometimes depending on really what you're trying to do the audience the following budget everything like that so i think that was more so of an in 
not even I wouldn't even really say you went in depth per se, but that was a great behind the scenes look of what really goes on, what you guys really have to do. It's not all just what you see at the forefront. It's not just, you know, the sales coming in, the following coming in, people being able to resonate that experience. But you, you said you have a team yeah. dedicated to just doing research, to just really scoping you out, your content, your page, what you do. How is your content? Is it clean? Is it professional? Is it concise? Are you consistent? It's a lot that goes into that. So the fact that you guys are working so diligently and not just in the United States and Europe as well. And, and continuing to build from that, man, I, I commend you all. And I really do. You know, I'm excited to see, you know, one, what comes from this, but how brands are just able to continuously build. Because I know a brand, a lot of brands out there with foundation. I know a lot of brands who will meet that criteria. I know a lot of brands who are well on their way to meeting that criteria. So definitely interested to, to see what happens, you know, as the as the future goes. So more so speaking towards the future. Would you say that there's anything that the Influencer Marketing Factory is is looking forward to as we progress through the year? You know, Q2 is upon us. And, you know, the year, I feel like summer will be here before we know it. Then we'll be celebrating Halloween, Thanksgiving, and then we'll, the ball will be dropping and we'll be at another year. But is there anything that as we continue to progress through this year, as we continue to move, anything that you guys are trying to focus on, anything that you guys are thinking about debuting or getting involved in? Obviously, for what you can disclose, something we're big on here on the Down to Business podcast is we like to be the first to report. We like to be those inside scoop reporters and get what we can so is there anything that you guys are kind of thinking about anything that you guys have been kind of working on or behind the scenes uh, yeah kind of we're gonna discussing? i mean on the report side we uh, every year we come out with different reports about the industry we've done one about the creative economy one about uh, uh live stream shopping one about uh social commerce and one about uh, virtual influencers and we get a lot of data we do our own service uh, we send it to reporters uh, we became last year a statista uh, partner that means that we can give them data that is going to be uh, used uh, worldwide so we're going to refresh our creator economy report this year uh, soon and it, that should be uh, go live in the next uh, next month and that uh, it's a good one because it really gives you an idea of all the behind the scene of uh, two different sites the users that go on social media like you know like how much they're tipping their favorite creators so much like you know all this type of uh, information and on the other side we also ask questions to creators and we ask them like how do you make money so for example is it brand deals is it uh, merchandising and so on we have a breakdown and then we ask them like how much do you make per year so we have all that service that really helps having primary data right uh, first type of data and then we ask also experts in the in the uh, industry to come up with like different quotes about the future for example of that so this is mostly about uh, more on the informational side uh, that we're gonna come out with and in terms of offering uh, we're always looking at new ways like you know to uh, give the best of our clients uh, and we always uh, try new beta versions for example of social media again every week there is something new so for example you know we have been uh, one of the first at the time doing TikTok ads uh, when it was still in beta and we're in touch with them on a weekly basis. So then there is a new, for example, feature, right? Or a new um, campaign objective. We test it out, for example, for our clients. So that is on that for, for Q2. And then something I would love to look at, but unfortunately the US is not ready yet. It's uh, social commerce. I've been, I'm a big fan of that. I've been following what is happening in China and Indonesia, uh, but unfortunately the US is not ready yet, I would say for that. But uh, once the, I would say the, the customers, the users, the brands are going to be ready, I would love to be one of the agencies to start offering that uh, in terms of helping with like, you know, hosting uh, live events, uh, selling during live streaming, because uh, we've been seeing what happens in China in terms of billions uh, sold every single day. And it would be really interesting to do the same potentially in the US and in Europe. So I'm looking for work for that. 
that's some great insight as well. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that. You know, like I said, I, I feel like things are ever developing, ever changing. So the fact that, you know, y'all are doing such diligent work, one, to already maintain and keep going with what y'all have. But, you know, you still have to adopt with the times. You know, if we were still thinking about things from five years ago, from the 10 year ago perspective, who knows, you know, just how successful we would have been or maybe we would have drifted off or lost it all and things like that. So the fact that you guys are always churning, always working things out, I like that a lot. So before we get into, you know, the final of where people can reach out to you, where they can find you and everything like that, do you feel like there's anything that, you know, we haven't touched on today that you would love to leave the people with, even sometimes some last words for the business owners, for the entrepreneurs, for people looking to get into the industry, for people already in this industry or anything that you just Yeah, um, I would say, say that the, the last other there. piece it is that more content creators are becoming entrepreneurs and they are building their own products. We've been seeing that with Prime, for example, has been quite a success that now there is a secondary market in UK schools, right? They are reselling those like, you know, bottles for, I don't know, like, what, what is the price now? Uh, we've been seeing uh, Mr. Beast with the uh, festivals uh, with chocolate, right? And, and burgers uh, by, by Mr. Beast. Uh, we've been seeing Emma Chamberlain with the coffee. We've been seeing uh, David Dobrik with uh, pizza by Dobrik. Like we've been seeing all of these. And uh, it's interesting to see um, all these different stories. And uh, I'm really keen to see like if uh, also like smaller creators will enter into this would be a really interesting exercise to see if all of the big ones can actually sell like their own products or also in the niche market is possible to do something like that so overall is the shift from being a merely brand ambassador for third party you know, like brands to get your own things um and that is like again something quite interesting that i'm following and you know for people listening out there i would like um you know, like just tell them to look at what is happening because you can learn so much from influencers because brands are really good in doing things, but sometimes they are a bit uh, uh, not really as, like, they are not really any more related to their own customers. While instead, the influencers, they talk with their audience and they know what people want. And I would use like their feedback to really understand what your customer wants and therefore how to optimize your products uh for for the audience and then so you, you can definitely learn from influencers absolutely man i i, I feel like you touched on so much here even giving me an inside look as to really influencer marketing and really what goes into it really what it is what people consider mm -hmm. it to be and then what it's not you know but i i definitely do feel like from what you guys do like i said i, I really do feel like you are taking almost a puzzle or like a painting or like a picture and really just fine tuning it, really just putting those finishing touches on it, really just giving it that extra oomph that it needs. And I feel like, you know, sometimes that's where business owners, that's where entrepreneurs, content creators, that's sometimes just what they're missing. You know, they could be creating great content, just not getting it out there the right way. Great content, maybe just not posting correctly, maybe not using SEO optimization correctly, words, phrasing, hashtags, everything. It's so much that goes into things and so much that's ever changing that, you know, you have to stay up to date with that. So to you, to the influencer marketing factory, man, I I, I clap it up for y'all. I commend y'all. I thank y'all for the diligent work that y'all are doing, but I encourage y'all to, you know, continue to go. And I can encourage all of my following, all of my audience who, you know, if something you heard today stood out to you, if something you heard today, if you learned something today, then just tap in. You know, sometimes it's nothing more than just asking some questions just figuring some things out really even putting things into perspective for your industry your brand your niche and really just going from there so alessandro arguably 
one of the most important parts now, not to say that anything you said prior was not important because it all was, but finding you, but getting in contact with working with the influencer marketing factory, what would you, when it comes to people out there who want to reach out, who want to learn more, who want to even utilize your products and services, what is the best way to get in contact with you, the team? Yeah, I would say three ways. So one is the influencermarketingfactory.com. It's our website, our case studies, uh, 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 clients that we worked with in the past, uh, uh, our blog and so on. So of course, like, you know, there is a contact form there that you can fill up to my own LinkedIn. If you just look for Alessandro Bogliari, that is my name, you can easily find me. I post uh, many things every single day about the, the you know, creator economy, influencer marketing, and, you know, happy to, to get back to people if you send me a DM there. And the last one also, uh, as you uh, also can see from my microphone here, we also do have a podcast called the Influence Factor. Uh, that is already like in the top 1% now globally. And we invite people from uh, the, the, you know, creator economy um, environment, uh, the influencer marketing, uh, influencers themselves, uh, uh, reporters about the industry and so on. And uh, I also host that with like 30, 40 minutes of conversation about specific uh, actionable items. Uh, and uh, many people said that they are learning, uh, uh, you know, like a lot on the, on the business and also creator side. So I would say that this is also something we're trying to uh, promote a bit more. But each of them, depending on your need, you're going to definitely find a solution there. See, I knew it was something about that mic. I saw that mic. I said, that's not just, you know, that's not just an ordinary setup right there. He knows what he's doing. So, no, okay. But definitely got you. Definitely will include all of that when we publish this. And, you know, like I said, just thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the value. Thank you for the, just the insight into the inside look as to what it is you really do, as to what this industry is, as to what it could be, and to how it can really benefit and be of people's advantage, you know, if they use it accordingly. So, to the Influencer Marketing Factory, to everyone who continuously taps in with the podcast, I thank y'all so much. We appreciate the time. We love y'all. This has been another episode of the Down to Business podcast here with Tamar Turner.